First Nations across Canada alarmed by the federal-provincial double-cross of the Innu Nation of Labrador. This is Mi'kmaq Matters, a podcast about Mi'kmaq people, politics, land and water. I'm Glenn Wheeler. This is episode 189. Thanks for your support via patreon.com forward slash Mi'kmaq Matters. Late last week, the Inu Nation was in the Supreme Court of Newfoundland and Labrador. They were seeking a court injunction to stop the province and Canada from signing a final deal on rate mitigation. That deal is a bailout so that hydro bills in the province don't double as a result of cost overruns on the disastrous Muskrat Falls development. But in coming to their deal, Premier Andrew Fury and Prime Minister Justin Trudeau have cancelled an economic promise given to the Inu on whose lands the development is built. The unilateral move by Canada and the province has infuriated not only the Inu, but First Nations across the country who wonder how safe are other similar impact benefit agreements. Our guest this week is legal counsel for the Inu, John Oltheus. And we're joined by John Oltheus of the law firm Oltheus Clare Townshend. Uh, good morning, John. Good morning, Glenn. Thank you for having me. Yes. You're called to the bar in Ontario and in Newfoundland and Labrador. And um, how long have you been working with the Inu Nation of Labrador? Uh, since uh, 1984. Mm. And uh, that first began around the uh, low-level flying issues that the uh, Inu were experiencing with Canada's invitation for NATO uh, forces to conduct low-level flying over their land. Yeah, Canada was uh, was uh, presenting the land in Labrador as unoccupied, no people up there. Absolutely, they uh, uninhabited land. They were telling the uh, the allies and uh, Inu delegations of people went over there. I was part of some of them to meet with the foreign governments and say, "Look, this is our homeland. This is not uninhabitable land any more than the prairies are uninhabitable because." Uh, a farmer just has his house on the one corner of his land. So, yes. uh, yeah, so that was the big struggle. And then, of course, that led to uh, the um, protest on the runways, many, many arrests, the decision of uh, Jim Migliorti that uh, the Inu leaders were not guilty because of the color of right defense. And, but that, that really um, energized the Inu people, gave them some sense of who they are, and uh, how they might start getting out from under colonialism. And then as a part of that, actually, Glenn, at that time, Canada uh, negotiated only six comprehensive agreements at a time and said to the Inu, uh, and John Crosby said this, you have to go on the bottom of the list and we'll get to you when some of the, one of the other agreements is reached. Of course, that takes many years. So because the uh, Inu of the Inu pressure government then agreed to negotiate the treaty. So that started in, uh, well, it actually um, 
led to uh, about 1990 and then agreement, uh, a framework agreement in 1996. And then uh, the uh, took uh, until 2011 to negotiate an agreement in principle. Mm. And we're still working to guy, try and get the final agreement. Yes. So yes. Now, and I suppose we, we should note that um, the ENU, when uh, Newfoundland, uh, the then province of Newfoundland became part of Canada, the ENU were not included under the Indian Act. And we know the Indian Act, of course, is a racist document, but it also provides uh, financial benefits to those First Nations that were so included. So it was, uh, I think, not until the 1990s that the uh, Inu uh, came under the Indian Act. And what what benefits uh, were the Inu deprived of uh, for having been left out of the Indian Act? Yes, well, they were they were penciled out of the terms of union. And, and as, as early as 1950, there was a, a federal Department of Justice legal opinion saying to Canada definitively, no, now that they're a part of Canada, we have a responsibility under Section 9124 to provide services and programs and services to Inu on the same level as across Canada. Despite that, federal ministers kept writing to um, uh, provincial ministers, provincial premiers, and the Inu saying, no, no. And so they started, Canada started giving a few grants to uh, to Newfoundland to provide some services to the Inu, but the Inu did not have access to uh, non-insured health benefits. They did not act, have access to uh, the, uh, the First Nations, to the normal uh, monies for building houses for infrastructure, for all kinds of programs and services, uh, child, youth, and family, their own uh, languages. And then uh, Section 87 as well, which exempted uh, First Nations from uh, transaction tax and um, income tax. And for the Inu, the, the, the transaction taxes were, were, were more of an issue because even if they were to buy a CDU or a SCDU or uh, any any uh, implement, they had to pay the sales tax when others didn't. So it meant a lot of poverty for Inu people and a lot of suffering. And it took a long time, including the 1990 Inu occupation of Parliament Hill, uh, for government to change. And even then, Glenn, they said, well, because the uh, Human Rights Commission report in 1993 said Inu should be given equivalent status without having to go through the embarrassing uh, process of registering under the Indian Act. Because at this time, Section uh, 90, uh, 35 was all already in the Constitution. And so the Inu said, look, we're, we're, we're covered under uh, Section 35. Uh, Section 9124 is no longer relevant. But in any event, it did, they eventually had to take the reserves. And then, so there's still a huge gap in, uh, in the level of programs and services because of the, the catch up is not completed in terms of uh, infrastructure in the community. And a lot of people have suffered and a lot of elders in particular have passed away during this whole struggle without realizing the benefits they were entitled to. Yes. Now, you mentioned the Canadian Human Rights Commission report of 1993, and 
to bring us into the present. Um, last week, as we are, uh, as listeners will be hearing uh, this, um, <clears throat> the Canadian Humorous Commission released its third report, and um, I do recommend the report to uh, to listeners who want to understand the Inu situation because it's an excellent uh, overview of uh, a concise but compelling overview of the Inu situation. And as the um, as the Canadian Human Rights Commission said, um, the conditions endured by the Inu would be shocking to most Canadians. So I think most Canadians do not know that even among Indigenous people who are disadvantaged as a group, the Inu are perhaps the most disadvantaged of a disadvantaged group. Um, so, um, so, and you can just Google CHRC uh, Inu report, and uh, it'll it'll just pop up on your computer. So, John, the the part of the report I wanted to ask you about is um, is Canada's behavior, uh, and I guess the province of Newfoundland and Labrador, the behavior at the treaty table of which the uh, commission is quite critical, saying that Canada is taking positions at your table which are contrary to the very principles for a treaty negotiation they have set out. So they're saying one thing in their principles, and they're taking a different position when they're meeting uh, you and your client, the Inu Nation, at the treaty table. And give, give us an example of, what, of uh, one of those discrepancies. Yes, uh, it, it, the, the report is a, an excellent report and it summarizes the 1993 and 2002 report as well, which Don McRae from uh, law professor then from the University of Ottawa, what was involved with, with, with all three of them. So, so he's seen, you know, little areas of progress, but a lot of areas where there has not been progress. Yeah, so the Inu have been at the treaty, modern treaty negotiation table for, for 30 years. And uh, that often involved us uh, meeting one week a month uh, in different different locations to, to try and uh, get the, the treaty done. There are now about 500 pages that have been agreed, but there's four or five key issues. The first one is own source revenue. And, and that's the revenue that the Inu get from uh, agreeing in an impact benefit agreement to the Boise Bay mine, and several other projects uh, that they, they have looked at in Labrador on their traditional land where they say, company, if you meet these conditions, you can go ahead with your project and, and we get a share of the, the money. And it's that money that has been used to fund, uh, try to fill the gap left by this long history of, of neglect by Canada, but also to provide uh, housing uh, in just about every house that's been built in Chesashi and uh, not so much Natwashish because of the relocation, but also now in Natwashish comes from own source revenue. And Canada is saying, look, uh, you're getting this uh, own source revenue, which the Inu say this is compensation in return for us, you know, giving up uh, Aboriginal title on some of our lands. And so we have to have, have this money that we can use to enhance uh, our programs and services and to close the socioeconomic gap. But Canada is saying, no, we're going to claw back some of that, which will mean uh, they're, they're talking about a formula in which over time, a good deal of it would be clawed back, which means Canada can then reduce its payments 
to uh, the transfer payments for programs and services to the first two First Nations and to the uh, Innu government that will be established after the treaty. So that's that's a, a tremendous uh, uh, problem for, for the Innu because it means they will never be able to close that gap. And uh, the uh, IBAs, like at some point, the Boise Bay mine, you know, there's no more ore left. So it's, it's crucial that uh, Canada give, provide Innu with financial certainty uh, as, as Innu are providing Canada with uh, certainty regarding treaty and Aboriginal rights. The, another issue, Glenn, is the Section 87. The Innu only just got that protection a number of years ago. Other First Nations have, have had it uh, for years, including many other First Nations who have entered modern treaties. And just and, remind us again what Section 87 uh, is. What that that is the uh, section in the Indian Act, which says that uh, Indians uh, that live on or have connections to reserves do not have to pay the transaction taxes. Right. And it, of course, in, in, uh, in Newfoundland Labrador, that is now 15%. So we're talking big money. Yeah, especially if you want to buy a boat or a truck or something, it's, it's, it's huge money. So Canada is asking that uh, eight years after the treaty is in effect that the transaction tax would uh, exemption would disappear. And 12 years after the uh, uh, income tax uh, exemption would disappear. Now, the Canada did not require that of the James Bay Cree in their original agreement or in successive agreements. And the whole coalition of First Nations across the country has been working with, uh, with the Innu because they, they too have the same issue because uh, Canada is looking at that uh, for, for all the treaties. So that's, that's a, a huge issue, as well as, I'll now mention one more, uh, infringement. Um, there is a, the courts have said, well, at the end of the day, if you have an Aboriginal right, but there's a really, really important thing that Canada or province has to do, uh, if they meet certain conditions, uh, then they can infringe that right. So it becomes a bit of a, a contingent right. And uh, we're saying, but we've negotiated 500 pages of, of the treaty already. So, uh, and if you want to make a change in it, you have to come to us and we will not unreasonably withhold our consent, but we will not agree that uh, without uh, our consent, you can just infringe uh, a provision of the treaty that we've been looking at, uh, negotiating for 30 years. And the commission found that on all of these positions, all of these uh, positions of Canada, they're actually contrary to the human rights of the, uh, of the Innu. Mm. And, uh, so we see, Glenn, that the treaty is, is not a contract. You know, the treaty should be a living relationship uh, Canada, since 1867, the provinces and the federal government have been harmonizing their constitutional responsibilities, you know, as they go along. That's a living document. And with Section 35, we're saying Innu and the rights of other Indigenous uh, groups, that uh, nations that have treaties, uh, the process now should be harmonization of the three uh, constitutional powers. 
uh, rather than saying the two, the two powers, the federal and provincial saying, yeah, we'll, we want contracts, not living arrangements mm. with, and the, the uh, report addresses that, uh, that issue as well. That, that's contrary to UN declaration. That yes. Canada- be, be almost like if we said, uh, okay, uh, we have a human rights code and we're going to, nothing more will go in. This is it. No more categories. So this is it. Uh, and we know that life, uh, you know, we, uh, we come to different understandings as, as time evolves. Um, so into the, uh, so the Muskrat Falls, uh, arrangement was supposed to be different. Uh, Danny Williams, of course, signed a, um, an agreement with the, um, with the Inu. And then, uh, there was an impact benefit agreement, uh, in which the Inu, uh, we get uh, some uh, economic benefit uh, in return for having their their land uh, used for this development and all the the losses they suffered of their territory of uh, access to to the land uh, which is so important to the Inu so the Inu gave up a lot and, and they thought they would uh, get something in this impact uh, benefit agreement and uh, <clears throat> but lo and bold as listeners will um, We'll know from hearing the news in the past while, the province uh, and uh, the federal government got together, of course, just before uh, a, uh, an expected federal election uh, uh, with the, the promise that um, uh, the feds would give uh, Newfoundland some way, uh, Newfoundland Labor some way of avoiding high, ta- high uh, power bills through a mitigation agreement. Um, but... Uh, uh, there's uh, a an impact on this agreement, this new agreement between Andrew Fury and uh, Justin Trudeau on this impact benefit agreement already signed between the Inu uh, and uh, and the Crown, and um, uh, it's um, I guess an easy way to explain it to the uh, to the uh, to listeners is what will happen to the return promised to the Inu uh, as a result of this mitigation agreement. And can you tell us, John, in uh, an understandable uh, everyday term is what that impact is? Yes. Um, yeah, as, as you've mentioned, Glenn, it was uh, in, uh, well, 2008, <clears throat> Premier Williams came to the Inu and said, look, uh, I want to uh, develop Muskrat Falls. And the Inu said, well, you've already developed Upper Churchill and without our consent and with a lot of impacts on us. So, uh, and uh, we're having all these issues at the land rights table. So uh, there's, there's, there's three, three things we need to address. We need to look at the impacts of uh, muskrat and, uh, and see, see if there's some benefits. And then we also have to get redress for Upper Churchill and uh, the, uh, the, the, tr- the treaty issue. So there was a 2008 agreement called the Joss Patobin Agreement, the new uh, Dawn Agreement. And uh, that did give the, uh, one part of it did give the Inu in, in 2041 when uh, that, that very bad deal expires, that, which gives all the money to uh, Quebec on the Upper Churchill, the Inu will get 3% of, of the uh, province's return. And then on, uh, and then some some uh, land issues were were addressed, and then um, in, in terms of the impact benefit agreement, the Inu were to get 
for the first number of years, they were to get $5 million a year because there would be, uh, this was all during the, the construction and so on and, and so forth. And then while the um, dam was in operation, they were to get 5% of the profit, which was the after debt net cash flow. So basically the profit under reasonable commercial expectations. So, um, and, and that would be a substantial amount of money, which the Innu people in a referendum agreed to. There were, there were extensive community consultations over many weeks in which the Innu looked at the draft and said, okay, these are the impacts. These are the measures taken to, uh, to mitigate the impacts and these are the benefits and financial modeling was done to show that. So on that basis, they voted to say yes to the project. And as you have said, Glennett, what now has happened is that in uh, with these $7 billion cost overruns, it brought the province to the point of, uh, of bankruptcy. And uh, what would have then happened is that uh, uh, power rates would have doubled for, for all the people who were getting their power from Muskrat Dam. And of course that was completely unacceptable. So um, they, uh, Newfoundland and uh, uh, Canada got together and figured out how to give relief to, uh, to, to uh, Newfoundland, a package worth $5.2 billion with a number of pieces to it. But in the process, they deliberately uh, worked those uh, agreements so that there would be no after debt and uh, cash flow. So the Inu 5% would be worth nothing. And they did this very, very deliberately. And there was a technical table set up, but they, they are with the, with the Inu that was supposed to be looking at some of these issues. There was obviously a second uh, table just with the uh, Canada and Newfoundland that were looking at this. They came up with this deal and uh, our, the, the problem, Glenn, that the Innu have with it is that, look, we're happy that the, uh, uh, the Prime Minister has bailed out Newfoundland Labrador. We have absolutely no problem with that. But in the process, you extinguish the uh, Aboriginal rights of the Innu. And you could have said, Prime Minister, I'm going to do this, people of Newfoundland, but in the process, we have to keep uh, the Innu, uh, our promises to the Innu. That's uh, consistent with the honor of the crown and our fiduciary duty. Uh, Prime Minister didn't say that. And uh, Premier Fury didn't say, well, thanks, Prime Minister, for this 5.2 uh, billion, but we also have to protect the Innu. They, rather, they took deliberate action to make sure that there would be no return for the Innu. So, the Innu are, are saying you you fundamentally breached this disagreement, and uh, we're we're looking now for what would have been a commercially reasonable rate of return had this project you know been managed and built properly, and the fact that it, it wasn't uh, Canada bailed Newfoundland out, um, uh, but uh, Canada left the uh, the bulk of the the impact of this on the Inu. So yes, and uh, I mean, 
we we note uh, in passing that in Natwashish, uh, the Indian community of Natwashish, are still on uh, diesel generators, and uh, they uh, they pay for their diesel for their generators. They pay four times as much for their diesel as other communities in Newfoundland and Labrador who also rely on diesel generators. No rate mitigation for Natwashish. Uh, yeah. We know it in passing. But um, a word that the uh, Human Rights Commission uh, uses in its report uh, for Canada is cynical. So I think uh, this word comes to mind here because, um, uh, John, one one wonders whether, you know, the governments, the, the Newfoundland and Labrador in Canada have concluded, okay, well, uh, you know, there's not that many Inu up there uh, in terms of numbers. So, um, uh you know, we have these uh, these seven seats in the province, and it's almost like a a political calculation somehow um, to think that uh, they could do this and not uh, and not let you know. I mean, uh, I don't think you had to be a legal expert to know a deal's a deal once it's signed, and even between widget companies, this would not pass muster. But uh, particularly when we're dealing with uh, the very special relationship between the crown and a first nation, it's uh, it's almost beyond the pale. Uh, well, it, it is absolutely, and and it it goes to the heart of you know the, the prime minister's message about reconciliation. Other First Nations across um, Canada now are looking at this and uh, are writing to the prime minister to say, "Look, this you, you did this uh, to the Innu, and uh, we're vulnerable too." because we have similar kind of IBA agreements and other agreements. So if, if in certain circumstances that, you know, the government thinks uh, are, are, are uh, appropriate, they can just do the same thing to all these uh, agreements across the country. So there, there is a flood of, of First Nations uh, individually and within their regions who are writing to the prime minister and saying, this is, this is a fundamental breach, not only of, of this particular agreement for the Innu, but it threatens our whole relationship and the basis on which we uh, want to negotiate in good faith with governments. Uh, if we cannot count on governments, then it, it's, it, you know, it's, it breaches, it, it, I mean, it's, it's then as colonial as uh, all these unilateral government actions in the past, if you can just do that. It's similar to the breaches of the uh, original numbered treaties. And this certainly was, is, is the case in, in, in Nova Scotia, New Brunswick with the Mi'kmaq. And you know that, and now Canada is saying, well, we can even breach uh, modern, uh, modern agreements. Mm. So, so yeah, it's a, it, is, it, it is a big issue. And uh, we truly hope that the Prime Minister and Premier Fury will, will come and say, uh, yeah, we got, we got it wrong. So we are going to help the people of Newfoundland, but we're also going to keep the Innu whole. That's, that's what the uh, Innu would like to see. Well, John, uh, that's, for, that's it for our time. Thank you very much uh, for uh, giving us a, uh, <clears throat> a concise uh, overview of um, of uh, a long and complicated saga of the of the Inu. Thank you very much. Thank you, thank you, Glenn. The Inu have been struggling for fifty years, and they would like to be spending their time on the land and not in the courts. But unfortunately, um, this is another situation where where they have to do this. We were speaking with John Otheus, 
legal counsel for the Inu Nation of Labrador. And that's it for the program. Allison Baker is the producer of Mi'kmaq Matters. Support our work via patreon.com or by email transfer, mi'kmaq.matters at gmail.com. I'm Glenn Wheeler, Emsa Nokomak.